Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. Well, this time it is actually a journey. It is a journey. A de facto journey. Yes. It is a journey. Today we are going to talk about, and we've, we've, we've talked about talking about him for a long time, Hanno the Navigator. Oh, this is so cool. Yeah. At, at first, I, yeah. Did he go all the way around Africa? I don't know, but we'll see. Let's, how about we go through and we'll see if he did. Some people say yes, and mm, I don't know. We'll find out if he went all the way around. I could. I actually will say from the start here that the ancient people thought of Africa having a different shape than it actually does. They sort of, kind of thought like it was a lot shorter. If you ever look for an old map of the ancient world, it's, it kind of misses the whole bottom of it. So they think it's a lot smaller than it actually was. So I would like to say thank you to Matt from Explorers Podcast. He helped me. With, he also has an episode on this. He does all kinds of explorers. And he helped me with uh, sharing his notes and sources with me. And so I really do appreciate that. Thank you, Matt. And check out his, I'll put the link to his podcast and website in the show notes. It's Explorers Podcast. It's really good. So maybe we'll get started on this. Yes. What, uh, what year is this? So we don't know for sure. We don't have any years on it because the, most, the, ma- the main record that we have of this is it's from what's called a Periplus. A periplus is like a ship's log, and it was hung in Carthage for centuries. But you know what happened to everything that was hung in Carthage at one point was destroyed by the Romans. So, no. Yeah, they they we don't have it, but you know we have a copy of a copy of somebody translated. So basically, we have a Greek translation that was then copied, and we're about it's well, the records we have that came down of the periplus 
or about a thousand years after it, you know, so. But. Oh, it's a clay tablet or. You know, it must have been a stone type of thing um, because it was hung for centuries up. I mean, the Phoenicians and thus the Carthaginians, we know that they had an alphabet and they wrote uh, on paper, but this was hung in the temple. So it was hung in the temple of Baal, Baal Hamon. And so I would think it was carved in a stone. You know, probably not a clay tablet because, like the Greeks, they carved things in stone, but they didn't really do it in clay because it wasn't their writing system. And they didn't have much clay. Probably that too. So what we know, I mean, this is one of the first great voyages of exploration that was ever actually recorded that we have. I mean, some guy probably, you know, somebody found Australia and all that other stuff too, but we don't think they wrote it down. And we don't know a lot about Hanno, like who he was and that kind of thing. But we do, I mean, we do know about this you know, expedition. And a lot of the stuff that, you know, we're going to tell you what the Periplus says and what we scholars, you know, believe it is. We have to think that, some, like I said, that this is an old Periplus that was recopied. And also, they probably weren't going to say every single thing, like where they were, where they found certain things, because this, you know, the Carthaginians were, as you said before, they're like a business. So they're not going to post up on in the wall saying, you know, here's where you can go find a lot of gold and stuff. <laughs> they, we think that around the same time, some of the ancient authors say that they may have also been another expedition that went up to the north along the coast of Europe to the British Isles by another guy named Himoko. And he, he described his journey as full of terrors and dangers with sea monsters and all kinds of storms but we're not sure this he might have just said all that so that nobody would ever go up there you know make it hard and unfortunately though we don't know anything else about Himoko that's all lost Pliny the elders he he said that Himoko and Hanno left at the same time but that's I don't know we don't know if that's true or not that would seem like you had a lot of ships at the same time to like just be you know strolling around so So Hanno, he would undertake an expedition down the coast of Africa. And his mission was to found, you know, new settlements, resupply existing colonies, trade with the locals, and find other lands and markets and opportunities for, you know, the Carthaginians. That does sound very corporate. Yeah, totally, you know. And most of the information we have is by this Periplus, which is is a a Periplus lists all the ports, uh, coastal landmarks of a voyage, with approximate distances in between. So it's this way if someone else was going to take the trip, they would know what to do. One of their own people. And like I said, they probably, what they hung up, they probably changed. It's like a ship's log, basically. Uh, if I remember correctly, that's the way people did maps as well during this time. Yeah. That a map was like a, a description of the travel you were about to take. Right. Instead of like a drawn map, you mean, yeah. Exactly. Right. I mean, not everybody's a map maker. That is why ancient maps are so rare. Correct. So yeah, so this Periplus was hung up in the in the um, temple of Baal Hamon, um, which is basically he's the chief god of 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 Carthage. He's like a weather god, like Yahweh. He had a female part. Yeah, he was also the chief god of uh, Tyre, Correct. the parent city of Carthage. Exactly. The um, the full title of this Periplus, that's translated from Greek, is the Voyage of Hanno, commander of the Carthaginians, round the parts of Libya beyond the pillars of Hercules which he deposited in the temple of Kronos. So they called, the Greeks translated Bahamon as Kronos. I think it's weird though, because like Kronos isn't like Zeus. Baal is more like Zeus. Kronos was like Zeus's father. 
Yeah. So, again, like I said, this was copied and copied and copied and copied. They even called, the Greeks even called Hanno a king, but he was more likely a, probably like a nobleman, a high-ranking person, something like that. So, I just want to say, you know, you wonder why would they do this? Why would the Carthaginians want to do this journey? Like, they're not, is it, you know, for pure science and probably no, they did it for money. You know, they're, they're coming up against Greeks are coming in there. They're, they're growing their empire. They, they, they probably did have some colonies already sort of around the coast, around the start of Africa, past the Pillars of Hercules. Yeah, they've been in Spain since the 10th century, so right. I think they did. There is another theory why he did this, but I'll, I'll give you that at the end. Okay, well, I'd like to definitely hear that for sure. Yeah, we know they already did establish some colonies along the coast of West Africa, you know, in what's present-day Morocco. But they're probably, like we always say, they're probably trading posts. And they would have been, you know, safe havens for Carthaginian merchant ships, that kind of thing. So so one of Hanno's jobs on this journey was to reinforce those colonies and establish some new ones. And then he would go further south and, you know, look for new opportunities. That's That's a very corporate thing to say. This is a great testament to the sailing skills of the Phoenicians and the Carthaginians. Absolutely. To actually brave the Atlantic and leave people yeah. in West Africa. Yeah. And I will be back one day. Yeah, you're right. They have no way of contacting you. Right. And those ships were made, they could sail across the Mediterranean and things like that, but they weren't made for, you know, ocean travel. So they had to stick close to the shores, but they had to know what they're doing too, just like you said. So he, he assembled his fleet at this, you know, the Pillars of Hercules, the Straits of Gibraltar, which is obviously which is, uh, southern Spain and northern Morocco. He, the fleet was, this is what they say, that there was 60 ships, 60 oared ships, and 30,000 people. But probably wasn't 30,000 people because... As far as we know, they couldn't fit 30,000 people on 60 ships at that time. So maybe it was more around 5,000 people, but 60 ships. And so they would have loaded them up with people and trade goods, you know, to trade along the way and supplies for those colonies. That's so many people compared to other explorers from like the 15th and 16th century AD. Yeah, correct. True. This is an enormous expedition. Yeah. They would have had mostly merchant vessels probably, but they're, they're, surely they would have had, you know, warships and things like that. It, it was definitely a significant investment, I would think. So, yeah, they had these merchant ships. They would have been similar to the, what we know the Phoenicians were, that they used, because basically these, you know, Carthaginians are Phoenicians. They'd be large and heavy. They'd have, the merchant ships would have two rows of oars, one large sail. They'd have uh, wide, big-bellied hulls, and they could carry... Um, over 400 tons of cargo, which is 362,000 kilograms. So that's a lot of stuff. They also would have had some merchant ships, smaller merchant ships too, with this one row of oars. And they would have been good for sailing up rivers, getting closer to the shores in the shallows. I'm not really positive how they traveled all the way with the fleet. I'm thinking, like you said, the Carthaginians were good navigators and sailors, so they probably had a way. I think maybe they towed them or kept them in the wakes, you know, the big ships in the front and keep the little ships in the behind, sort of like how geese fly. What? You know how geese fly, like in a V, and the other geese, like, get to go along with their wind? Yep. Yeah, maybe they did something like that, because they had smaller ships and bigger ships, so. 
So yeah, they they assembled this fleet in in the Spain side, which in those days was called Gadir, but now it's Cadiz, Spain. So that's where the fleet was assembled. So that is, you know, basically if you were going to draw on a map and follow it down, if you I'll post the links and you can see the map, that's restarted. Good place to start. Yeah, for yeah. sure. <laughs> so they left from there. Here's my, so I'll tell you this. Uh, this is according to the Periplus, right? This is what he says they went. They started there, like I said, in Kadir, and they sailed for two days, which is about 150 miles, and that's 240 kilometers, and they founded a new city already, which uh, Hanno called Thymiatirion. Thymiatirion. That is near the modern-day city of Kanitra, which is about 40 kilometers north of Ribat in Morocco. It's on the mouth of a major river, the Cebu River. So he founded something right away, right there. Two days sailing, boom, he's already got something going. Pretty effective guy, right? Yeah. So we don't know that he found like a big city or anything like that. It could have just been a trading post. Maybe some, maybe there were settlers too. You know, maybe if they mingled, they would they would start. But we do know that there was um, settlements in here from, we have archaeological evidence too, so seems to make, <clears throat> be true. And when they got there, they would take some translators so they could communicate with local people now. And these, these people here were Berbers. So they would grab some translators and, you know, keep continuing south. And the Cartaginians were probably quite aware of the Berbers at this time. Of course, 100%. They probably even had some other Berbers on there with them. Yeah. Um, so then the next, he, they say he sailed a little bit west to a place called Soleus. And it says from the Periplus, here we dedicated a temple to Poseidon. That's what it says in the Greek translation, but that would have been Yam. That was the sea god of the Carthaginians. Sailing to the east for half a day, we reached a lake. It was not far from the sea and was covered with many long reeds from which elephants and other wild animals were eating. That's pretty cool. I like that. I could visualize that, can you? Yes. Yeah. So this Soleus is modern-day El Jadida, and that's about 130 miles or 210 kilometers down from the last stop. And this is the mouth of the Umariba River. And that's the second longest river in Morocco. So you see founding settlements on rivers so that they could trade with the locals, and they, you know, obviously a river's a good place to have a settlement. So it's like four or five days since the trip has already founded two settlements. Yeah, pretty good. They must have had a plan for those because that wasn't so far away either, I think. I mean, some no. sort of a plan. As soon as we find a river, let's... I mean, some of the people must have known there's something here or something there. Uh, these are probably not the first Carthaginians yes. that has visited these early places. Correct, right. We're not into the part where we're like, whoa, this is all new stuff. So Because then he goes on, after he visits this lake... He goes on to found five more cities. And, you know, I don't need to list all the names of the cities, but he finds five more cities. What lake? The lake that he the, that the elephants were eating at. Oh, yeah. Yeah. True. Right. I could just visualize one of those, you know, those nature programs, all the elephants and the reeds in the road. That's kind of cool. So they, after that, they went on, they found these five more cities, and these are all in what would be Morocco now. And we know that because there have been Carthaginians artifacts and there's runes found at these places. So ruins, not runes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we know like, from other sources that, they've, that they had places here. And, you know, each place would have been a good location. Like it would have been near a river or near a harbor. So already he's after a good start. You know, he finds five cities, five more cities, got six cities. You know, his uh, fleet, 
they traveled down the coast from Gibraltar now more than 400 miles, and which is 650 kilometers. So he's starting a trade network, beefing up his trade network and making a little new one. They would have been trading on the way, we think, too. So from the Periplus again, he said. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Continuing our voyage from there, we reached the Lixos a large river flowing from Libya. The Lixites, a nomadic tribe, were pasturing their cattle beside it. We remained with them for some time and became friends. And they definitely added some to their uh, fleet as translators there too. Very diplomatic. Yeah, so far so good. This, this, we think this is the river Dira, which is spelled D-R-A-A, but it's pronounced Dira. That's Morocco's longest river. This, this is near the Canary Islands, right? So this river uh, empties into the Atlantic. And if you go directly west from there, about 240 kilometers, you'll run right into the Canary Islands. But uh, Hanno didn't. He didn't go to the Canary Islands. And we don't know if the Carthaginians did, went to them or not. We don't. There was some king of Numidia from like the hundreds uh, BC that he's the first one to supposedly discover the Canary Islands. But there was, he said there was ruins there. So maybe the Carthaginians had found it. That's out in the ocean. I mean, that's when you're really getting out there when you get to the Canary Islands. So that's where we are now, right? And so the fleet continued south. And he, the local people now were called, he said, were Ethiopians and hostile to the Carthaginians. So in the ancient world, Ethiopian means people with burnt faces. So that was the term for um, black Africans in the ancient days. Like, so, you know, we know where Ethiopia is now, and we're on the other side of Africa. But they basically, you know, called black Africans Ethiopians. So the ones that they were with before were Berbers, and now we're down to what they call Ethiopians. And uh, these Lixite translators said the mountains in the distance were filled with cavemen, men so swift they could run as fast as a horse. <laughs> Makes you wonder who they were. I wonder. Did we see these marathon runners from Africa? Maybe it's them. Wow. I think they're from East Africa as well. Yeah. I've seen, I mean, six-minute miles for 26 miles. That's pretty fast. 
So then the Periplus says that they continue south for two more days. You notice that's what it is. They always just say days. They don't, you know, we, we figured out the miles because where they went, but they would just say we traveled for two days, that kind of thing. And they didn't really have a way to measure the miles, so they would tell the next person, you know, you go for about two days and you'll be here. Um, they start another settlement. There is an island in a small bay, and the settlement is called Kern. We're still not, we're kind of vague about where Kern is, but they think it's probably the the Bay of Arguin, which is the Mauritanian coast. But the thing is, so that's much further than two days a journey, but there's some evidence in the Periplus from the translation that it probably should have been 12. 12 days, not two days, so that could easily have happened. Started, you know, a little, another little settlement there. He is now 1,300 miles or 2,100 kilometers from the Straits of Gibraltar. So pretty far away. Yeah. You're doing good. They keep going south. So sailing from there, here's from the Periplus. Sailing from there, we crossed a river, a river called Shretes and reached a bay, which contained three islands bigger than Kern. After a day's sail from here, we arrived at the end of the bay, which was overhung by some very great mountains, crowded with savages clad in animal skins. By throwing stones, they prevented us from disembarking and drove us away. This makes it very clear that this is not an armed expedition. Right. Good point. You can get rid of them with stones. But yeah, you could just go get some guys with stones. Yeah, you're probably trying to be careful with your... I bet you, like you said, too, they had a lot of... It's not an armed expedition to conquer. They... And if they had collected a lot of gold and things like that, they don't want some lunatic with a stone sink one of their ships. They also know that this is probably a bad place for colony. Yeah, right. Because they would have uh, stone attacks all day. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of like when the, in the Odysseus, you know, in the Odyssey where, where the Cyclops are throwing stones at them. Yeah. I wonder if where they get that's where they get these kind of stories from, you know. There's all these crazy people throwing stones at us. It's the worst. Oh, I hate that when that happens, especially if they're cyclopses. <laughs> so they think this is probably the Tidra Archipelago. How do you pronounce that word? Archipelago. Archipelago. Thank you. I'm this English person asking the Swedish person how to pronounce a word. Um, <laughs> um, off the Mauritanian coast. So that's where they think the cyclopses and the savages were throwing the stones at them. Here's another cool one from the Periplus. Le- leaving from there... We arrived at another large, broad river, teeming with crocodiles and hippopotamuses. Returning from there, we went back to Kern. So that is, we think, the Senegal River, which is a huge major river today. That's the border between Senegal and Mauritania. Well, they're already in Senegal. Yeah. Yeah. This is where he's at now. And this is probably the this well this is the gold the heart of the gold producing region of Ghana. So later they would later on this river would be called the River of Gold. So we think that that's probably what the Carthaginians came there to trade for, and they got some gold. And then he went back to Kern, which we're not sure, but it, some scholars think that he probably went back to like take some of his gold back to you know keep it safe because he's getting into uncharted waters here. You know, who knows? And they have all this gold. So they, they founded that little place on Kern. Maybe they just made like a warehouse or something, you know? I mean, you could get these islands if you had these savages that are throwing stones from the mainland. But there's islands. They probably could put a couple soldiers on there and some gold and hold on to them. Yeah, and the Cartaginians probably feel much safer on islands. Yeah, I would think so. The stone-throwing savages' naval craft is probably <laughs> inferior. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. 
I guess, yeah, they probably didn't have canoes or whatever. I guess. I don't know. Here's um, So this is about the trading the gold. Will you, will you do the honors of this car, of Herodotus quote for me? Okay, quoting Herodotus. The Carthaginians tell of a place in Libya outside the pillars of Hercules, inhabited by people to whom they bring their cargoes. The Carthaginians unload their wares and arrange them on the beach, when they reboard their boats and light the smoky fire. When the native inhabitants see the smoke, they come to the shore, and after setting out gold in exchange for the goods, they withdraw. The Carthaginians disembark and examine what the natives have left there, and if the gold appears to them a worthy price for their wares, they take it and depart. If not, they get back on their boats and sit down to wait, while the natives approach again and set out more gold, until they satisfy the Carthaginians that the amount is sufficient. Hmm. End quote. End quote. This seems to be a, a very risky way of doing business. I can see this going wrong in many ways. Yeah, they probably could. put the go- I mean, they just come and take the goods and scamper off into the, into the fields. But and they must have needed the goods. You have to figure, I mean, the Carthaginians really wanted the gold. And maybe the natives are like, the gold is kind of cool, but... It's like bloody lupins from Monty Python, you know? I had a lot of gold, but I could really use a hammer. <laughs> I wonder what uh, kind of stuff they gave the natives. I bet you, man, well, we know the Carthaginians were like in, like the major, like anything you wanted in the ancient world, you got you can get from the Carthaginians. I remember Dr. Milehammer really explaining that to us, too. So probably, like I said, anything. They could get farm tools, probably, hammers. Like, just, they probably didn't have much metalworking, so... Maybe weapons, different food. Maybe I probably not food. They probably didn't earn trading food down here. But you really just probably manufactured goods. That's that's the basis of capitalism. Get the raw goods and sell the manufactured goods. You know what they probably have that the natives don't have that the natives will really enjoy? Hmm. Wine. Oh yeah, good point. Imagine getting drunk for the first time and these weird people are coming from the sea, and giving you more wine. That's the story of the Americans. You know, that's how it went here, for sure. We had whiskey and rum, for sure. I have to mention uh, that I visited uh, the Gambia and Senegal in 2018. Oh, really? And this is uh, uh, this is quite a way to go for Hanno. Yeah. Let's see if he can circumnavigate all of Africa. Let's see. We'll have to see what happens. Yeah, because at this point he has traveled more than 1,600 miles. Or that's like 2,500 kilometers. That's pretty far so far. He's, he's still not halfway. He still goes. He goes pretty far. Because like up to now, he, you know, this seems like he had an agenda. You know, he was founding the towns. He's resupplying some existing ones. They're trading, you know, acquiring gold, doing laying out the, you know, the goods and getting the gold. Maybe they've been there before, that kind of thing. Let's get some stuff, that kind of stuff. But now it seems to change because now... I have to uh, interrupt you by telling you that he has not gone one-tenth of the length of the African coastline. But, of course, he doesn't know how long the African coastline is. That is correct. He does not know. They think it's a lot shorter. They think it's that, that whole bottom of it, they think pretty much where it curves around that horn there, they kind of think it's that's it and it goes back around. We should also clarify that when the Greeks that translated this talk about Libya, they probably mean Africa. They do, and you know what? I was going to say that before, and it's true. That Libya means Africa, just like Ethiopians means burnt faces. That's just the way they use. That's the the, the lingo of the day. But wait a minute here. He 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 passes the Gambia River and ignores it. Yeah, 
maybe he just says he ignored it. He didn't put it in the parables. Oh, that's where the real good stuff is. Right. That's why they, they, I can't imagine they would put everything in the parables there. Oh, of course not. Hey, I'm going to do a call out right now because while we're recording this, I got I got a pop up on my Facebook. Matt McGovern commented on a fo- post by Fan of History. Shout out to Matt. Yes, Master Matt. All right. I bet Eva posted a new episode. That's what it is. And I would like to say, hopefully my voice sounds okay in this episode, but something was wrong with the mic, and I had a very high voice again in that last episode, that the one that was posted today, which is, I think, part four of the 590s. So my daughter was making fun of me this morning. I forced her to listen to the podcast in the car. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Anyway, yeah, it's so, like... We said he's 2,500 kilometers down, which Dan just told us. is only a tenth of the way down the coast of Africa, but he still has more to go. Um, he's only not even halfway past how far he was going to go, as far as I'm concerned. But he doesn't set, you know, we don't think there's going to be any more settlements. Now it's just discovery. He heads down another 900 miles, 1,450 kilometers, and here's from the Periplus. From there, we sailed to the south for 12 days. We remained close to the coast, which was entirely inhabited by Ethiopians, who fled from us when we approached. Even to our Lixites, their language was unintelligible. So we think this means he probably reached the area around Sierra Leone and Liberia, and their crew language was widespread. So they didn't obviously know how to translate it. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So from here, after two more days, the Carthaginians reached the Cape Palmas. And that's the border of modern-day Liberia and the Ivory Coast. And this is where the African coastline makes a hard turn to the east. So if you're looking to the south, Hanno would see nothing but ocean. This was the Gulf of Guinea. And at this point, I'm sure he thinks that, oh, wow, okay, this is the end of the African island, and now I'm going straight to Egypt. That's right. And they think they might be right. So... Now he's 2,800 miles from south of the Straits of Gibraltar, Pillars of Hercules, which is 4,500 kilometers. So he's already traveled 2,800 miles, and he's, like you said, he thinks he's about to make a turnaround, but they wouldn't, because now they got to continue east, because of, you know, how Africa curves in there. So he continues east along the African coast for another 1,000 miles, 1,600 kilometers. They came to a large island, and this was possibly one of the islands that are found in the, in the Niger River Delta. So he wrote, quote, in the Periplus, In daytime, we could see nothing but the forest, but during the night, we noticed many fires alight, and we heard the sound of flutes, beatings of cymbals and tom-toms, and the shouts of a multitude. We grew afraid, and our diviners advised us to leave the island. So there was natives, and hear drumming, and they had no idea where they were, lots of fires. And they seem to be very interested in music. Yeah. It sounds like Africa, though, right? It sounds like sub-Saharan Africa. So, you know, it's obviously some truth there, you know. It makes you wonder why he didn't want to trade with these guys. I don't know. He says diviners tell them they're afraid. Yeah, and if the diviner says go another way, then you'll, you'll obey them. Always. Yeah, that's how it worked in the old days, for sure. So uh, the next thing, is this is pretty cool here, from the Periplus again. Sailing on for four days, we saw the coast by night full of flames. In the middle was a big flame taller than the others and apparently rising to the stars. By day, this turned out to be a very high mountain, which was called Chariot of the Gods. So it's obviously a volcano. The most likely, it was Mount Cameroon, 
which the natives called Manga Maloba. That means seed of the gods. And yeah, it's a volcano. It's still active. I looked it up. Last time it erupted was 2012. When's the last time you erupted? I think it was th- this midsummer. Yeah. Did you throw a fit? I threw a fit last year. <laughs> I did throw a fit. <laughs> what happened when you threw your fit? I was at work, and it's a, I, I was at work, and something went. It was during the. You know what? It was the um, supply chain crisis. You know, everything was. Every time I went to order something, it didn't. It was a problem, and I just threw a fit, and I took my keys and I threw them off the wall. My keys are still a little bit broke, and I and I remember not to throw fits like that. Was this during the Ever Given thing? Which thing? When that big ship got stuck in the Suez Canal. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Oh, that was a problem, too. No, it was everything from COVID. There was like, because everything had been shut down, you know, at the supply chain. There was Remember, there was like ships lined up outside of all our harbors and stuff like that, and my business promotional products everything comes from china so there was no inventory every time you go to order something you couldn't get it it was just it was a fit i threw a fit <laughs> <laughs> okay back to africa back to that yeah so they they head south again cuz now you know africa kind of curves down right so they did went all that far east now they're going south again that must have been so disappointing no egypt in sight yes and it's like oh it keeps going they um they reached what would be uh, Corisco Bay in today, which is uh, Libreville. It's in Gabon. And that's, believe it or not, see, because what happened is they ran out of, they were running out of provisions and everything now. They really didn't, you know, before they had places to go, you know, places to stop, and they were trading with people, and now they're fearful and not trading with natives. And, you know, you got to eat a ship like that, all those people. So they kind of were running out, and they were, they, that was pretty much the end of the voyage. They're going to be more scared very soon. They are. So I'm going to save this because we, we've been talking about this since we've been doing this podcast. So there's a, there's a the, the really interesting part, and I'm saving it for you. You see it there the, from the Periplus? Yes. So quoting the Periplus. Sailing thence along the torrents of fire, we arrived after three days at a bay called Horn of the South. In this gulf was an island resembling the first with a lagoon within which was another island full of savages. Most of them were women with hairy bodies, whom our interpreters called gorillas. (laughs) Although we chased them, we could not catch any males. They all escaped, being good climbers who defended themselves with stones. However, we caught three women who refused to follow those who carried them off, biting and clawing them. So we killed and flayed them, and brought their skins back to Carthage, for we did not sail any further because our provisions were running short. End quote. Amazing. <laughs> gorillas <laughs> are these real gorillas? You wonder that most scholars think no, because gorillas don't climb trees. Maybe they climbed uh, the mountains. Maybe it could have been like chimpanzees or something like that too. But I would think they know what chimpanzees are in Carthage, wouldn't you think? Maybe. No, chimpanzees are down deep in Africa, right? They only seen monkeys. Yeah, I guess so. It's uh, so. I, what I read was that, like, you know, gorillas were kind of like Bigfoot in the 1800s. Like, there was nobody ever saw a gorilla, so it was uh, sort of like, you know, they didn't know that there was such a thing. You know, people said, "Oh, there's really no gorillas." And then when they first, when they found what are gorillas, they called them gorillas based on this, you know. <laughs> so that's what's weird. So this is the source of the name for the animal. Correct, which is interesting. So, yeah, I mean, what if they were people? They were just, like, hairy. 
I mean, they knew they were women, obviously. They must have breasts, right? I mean, how, and, and they're obviously they're hairy bodies. How very Assyrian to flee these poor hairy, hairy girls. Right, seriously, biting and clawing. I mean, you know, I mean, how would you just even catch a gorilla? Imagine if, I don't know how big female gorillas are, but male gorillas are pretty big, right? So imagine if you, seriously, let's think about this now. You're going to take a gorilla and say, oh, I think it's a person. Let me just capture these three and bring them with me. Like, I don't think you'd take gorillas along with you very easily, but maybe you could take a monkey, like a chimpanzee or some kind of an ape like that. I have to look into this right now. All right. How big is a female gorilla? I know. Shout out to my friend John, my friend John that I went to Spain with. We call him the silverback gorilla. <laughs> he has like a big chest. And little legs, so we always call them the silverback. Uh, female gorillas. Oh, I could carry one of those. Oh, you could? Yeah, they're one, <laughs> one, uh, 25 to 1, 5 meters. So 4 feet 1 inch to 4 feet 11 inches. How much do they weigh? A male gorilla weighs an average of 144 kilograms. And the females are much smaller, so I can carry them. All right. Unless so, they yeah. bite and claw me. <laughs> then I have to flay them. And put up their skins in a local church. <laughs> then I would be in prison. I know they don't even let you flay. You can't do. In those days, they thought they were people. Ah, oh, so we just flayed them. Like no, no big deal. You, you definitely can't even flay a rabbit today and hang it up in a thing. Somebody will get mad at you. Well, people are so stingy <laughs> nowadays. <laughs> when you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. It's crazy. <laughs> Dan, Dan carrying around a female gorilla. <laughs> I'm not going to try that at the zoo. <laughs> I got a big stuffed animal. But the silverbacks oh, are huge. Yeah, that's huge. They are big. So what happened to the furs? What's that? What the happened fur? to yeah, the furs? I was going to say, it's really true. Because Pliny the Elder says that the gorilla furs, whatever they were, were hung up in the temple of the goddess Tanit until Carthage was strong, destroyed by the Romans in 140 CBC. So Tanit was Balhamon's um, wife. And yeah, they were hung up in there for all that time. So people saw them, freaking Romans. And then the Romans destroyed everything. Yeah. I mean, couldn't they have taken those at least? Like what? They were like, that generation of Romans was a bunch of bastards. Imagine if this were just some hairy girls. <laughs> and there were like three skins of hairy women on the wall of the temple. Oh, my God. But these people did sacrifice babies, so maybe that was yeah. just cool to them. I mean, seriously. So, yeah. So, yeah, at this point, right? So, they've gone 4,300 miles or 6,900 kilometers. And, I mean, according to the Periplus, which is, you know, he says he turned around and came back. No circumnavigating, according to the Periplus. Okay. But maybe that's a Carthaginian lie. Maybe. Or maybe this was just the first of many. It could be. Yeah, I don't know. That's what we know, though. I mean, I don't know what's... I mean, South Africa would have been a pretty nice place to go to, though. I mean, because it's, it's a temperate... It's more of a Mediterranean climate. Yeah. You would think they would have said something about that, but... Okay, but let's uh, let's say that he turned back here. It must have okay. been quite a journey back. 
Yeah. I mean, he's already gone 4,000 miles, so over 4,500 4, miles almost. So, And the journey back is not as good because there's trade winds going south, and going north is harder. There's something about the Canary Islands has a current that's not easy to travel against. But he made it back because he posted the Periplus. And, you know, we know he described those mountains and those rivers, so he must have been there. Wow. Yeah. But this does have some credibility. Absolutely. And, I mean, even without going around, it's still a pretty good journey, you know? Well, I'll tell you something at the end that is less credible. Tell me. Oh, please go on until the end of the script. I mean, um, basically, that would just wrap up that we have, that's the information we have from the Periplus. You know, that's where we put our faith into because that's what we got. It's a translation of a copy. It's a bummer that it's gone. It hung there for centuries, so other people saw it. So, oh, there's one little last little interesting thing, is that there is a lunar crater named after Hanno. So, he's got his own crater on the moon. Amazing. Yeah, he's a great explorer for sure. So, what happened to him? Nobody knows. He just came back and hung the periplus. That's all we know. I don't know. Maybe he took a gorilla wife with him too, but they wouldn't sit still. So. <laughs> okay, remember that I might at some earlier point in this podcast have said that the Egyptians made Hanno take this voyage. Yes, he might have. And uh, this is actually something I found at the uh, Wikipedia page of Neko. Okay. The Pharaoh, Neko II. So, quoting Wikipedia. At some point between 610 and before 594 BC... Neko reputedly commissioned an expedition of Phoenicians, who it is said in three years sailed from the Red Sea around Africa, back to the mouth of the Nile, and would thereby be the first completion of the Cape Route. So that's the other way, right? Yeah, that's true. That's not Hanno at all. Yeah, that's the other direction. He would have went the other way. Pliny reported that Hanno had circumnated in Africa. He did. Which may, be, may have been like... A combination of this thing right. and Hanno's journey. Yeah. Uh, but even ancient writers doubted this. And nobody knew that Africa was surrounded by an ocean at this point. Right. But, uh, of course, they could have guessed that. Yeah. There are some uh, sources for this claim. But they are probably not very good. <laughs> so we have a, a, a book by Henry Smith Williams called Israel, India, Persia, Phoenicia, Minor Nations of Western Asia, Asia mm-hmm. which claims this. And also Anthony Tony Browder's book, Nine, Nile Valley Contributions to Civilization, Volume 1 from 1992. Check that out. And he says, um, quote, Anthony Tony Browder, In the 25th dynasty, during the reign of Neko II, navigational technology had advanced to the point where sailors from Kemet successfully circumnavigated Africa and drew an extremely accurate map of the continent. Hmm. I never saw such a extremely accurate map. I went to check that out. Yeah, so this is highly doubtful. But I think the journey of Hanno, as described on the purpose, is much more credible. It is quite a feat, but it's something that could be done at this time by someone who was determined enough to do it. Yes, for sure. For sure. And I think I saw. Or, I mean, you would have think, you, and you would assume it'd be true that the Greeks would have at least known how to get to those Moroccan places, you know, because the Greeks had the, you know, in Marseille there, that's kind of close to the pillars of Hercules. And I thought I saw somewhere where like, some Greeks may have gone through there, but there's not a, you know, not a lot of documentation about any trips or anything like that. I mean, they're competing with the 
the Greeks and the Carthaginians are obviously competing a lot right here, so I would think that I wouldn't be surprised. There's also, of course, the theory that this was not the high point of uh, Carthaginian exploration, mm. because the high point was when they reached America. Oh, that's so. <laughs> Maybe did they find the Mormons there? <laughs> the Mormons were, were before them in America. Yeah, they just got there around 600 BC, so they would have been getting set up there. So there is a poem from a late 4th century author, a Roman author, who uh, talks about a place that is covered with seaweed, uh, a part of the Atlantic covered with seaweed, which would be the Sargasso Sea, close mm. to America. Oh. And then uh, we found... In Brazil in 1872, they found a stone inscribed with Phoenician writing. What? It tells of a Phoenician ship, which due to a storm was separated from a fleet sailing from Egypt around Africa. <laughs> of course, they were like circumnavigating Africa all the time. Oh. Which also mentions Neko, the, uh, a pharaoh called Neko. Uh, so this uh, transcription of this stone was shown to uh, the director of the National Museum of Brazil, and he was super excited. But then he talked to the philologist Ernest Renan, and Ernest was like, of course, this is a forgery. Ah. And then they looked at it more closely, and it looked like a forgery. Mm. Also, no scholar ever saw this stone it's so, like the Mormons, just the stones in the in the hat. <laughs> uh, yeah, and there are also some modern um, theories. In 1996, a guy called McNenamin, uh, Mark McNenamin, proposed that Phoenician sailors discovered the New World in 350 BC. Hmm. Carthage minted gold staters in 350 BC, bearing the, a pattern which he interpreted as a map of the Mediterranean with the Americas shown to the west across the Atlantic. Wow. And Mark McNerman has not given up on this. He still holds this hypothesis that this is a map of the new world. Amazing. We also have Lucio Rosso speculated about how the Phoenicians arrived in America in a book called Ptolemy's Geography. But um, that must have been if they ever did. I mean, and obviously you couldn't commercialize it because they didn't have the kind of vessels that could do it. It had to be something like take years to get there and probably hardly any of them make it it's not like the sailing vessels they had in the 15th century and stuff so i think we have to end at the conclusion that hanno's voyage down the coast of africa is probably believable but they probably did not circumnavigate africa and they definitely not went to the americas i would concur with that statement and it's still an amazing journey i mean like it wasn't just a couple of ships you know it wasn't like three ships that columbus had i mean he had a full fleet it was a full mission you know setting up all those colonies and then spending you know half the journey just being in uncharted waters you know and finding gorillas and mountains of fire it's amazing i really hope they were gorillas i do too I and mean, i'm not hairy dan, girls not just hairy girls i want to see dan carrying hairy girls or gorillas around stockholm <laughs> this could be an argument for shaving your legs <laughs> and your back Please, ladies, shave your back at least. Sorry. Um, <laughs> or feel free not to shave your back. Yes. It's up to you. Whatever you you like. own your body. Man of history has no statement at all on what people should shave on their bodies. So, <laughs> unless, 
an expedition of Carthaginians appear at your coast and <laughs> shave quickly. Shave immediately and make sure you don't bite the people when they take you away. Or you're going to have problems. That's hysterical. On that note, we should probably end. I think so. So, yeah, check out our Facebook page. Check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash history. Give us a couple of bucks. Really help us out. Maybe we could buy some hairy gorillas for get Dan to carry around Sweden. Please don't. <laughs> and next time we will go to Italy. Okay, let's go to Italy. Cheers, Dan. Cheers. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash fan of history. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.